welcome to another great episode of the Security Hall Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Denny Caballero, and today I am joined by not only an amazing actress, but a, a writer, an advocate. Uh, you've seen her in Freedom Riders, or maybe one of my favorite uh, films, uh, The History of Future Folk. I am a nerd, and let me tell you, (laughs) that stuck out to me as soon as I was like looking for a national speaker to come uh, talk about resiliency and abuse and overcoming all sorts of things. And I saw your description. I was like, oh, wait, I've definitely seen her in not just Freedom Riders, but I recognize you from uh, History of Future Folk. So, yeah, today I'm joined by April Hernandez-Castillo. April, thank you for being here with us today. I am just absolutely floored that we were finally able to connect. Uh, well, the fact that you are probably the only human being on Earth that has watched the history of Future Fold <laughs> and are, uh, you are excited as I was making the film. It is a quirky, uh, really heartfelt movie um, that I did. And it was just, it was so much fun. And those guys are really brilliant they really are brilliant in that whole thing that they were doing so thank you for being the only person to ever watch it <laughs> trust me i come from a long line of nerds and uh <laughs> my oh audience my will definitely appreciate it um but one of the things that we like to talk about and discuss on our show um and focus heavily on is resilience um serving both active duty and retired veteran service group or service members we're always having to highlight the fact that you can survive and overcome anything. You have to be a willing and active participant of your recovery of your own journey. And when I started researching and reading about you, what stuck out to me was your national speeches, your TEDx talk and your history. You're somebody that doesn't, that wasn't, destroyed by where they started. And that's something that a lot of us share in the military. We overcame our trauma, came into the military, and then we take on a lot more trauma. And then we sort of forget that we're survivors, that we're thrivers. And we just let that trauma kind of just pile up. But your story and your your life is exactly what we need to highlight in here because you made that choice. And it's in, in the And a quote I found about you, you made a choice to live and leave. And that is something that not only do our service members need to hear, but our spouses need to hear. Because as we're moving into March 1st, Women's History Month, um, we also need to talk about the ugly side of a relationship that's being brought down by mental health issues and trauma, and that's abuse. Mm -hmm. And you are the absolute perfect person to talk to us today about resilience and how you overcame those challenges. Yeah. Thank you for that. Uh, I think, I think you hit it on the head. Sometimes when you are in that season of surviving, I don't necessarily think anyone is actually saying, Oh, I'm, I'm in the season of surviving. You just know that you left a really scary, unhealthy situation and your instincts helped you, your faith, whatever it is for anyone at that moment to say, I need to exit. I need to find a way. 
And once I found that way, now how do I find myself in this thing that we call life, which is hard (laughs) to do? I never even saw myself as a victim. I didn't have that language when I left my relationship. I just knew I don't want to die. And I didn't want to kill myself because that's how bad it got for, for me. Um, and thinking, man, if I can just hold on, if I can find the courage to leave this person, not knowing if they would retaliate, not knowing if they would hurt my family in ways that, you know, I I can't even imagine, but just saying, I, I really want to live. But in order for me to live, I have to leave this situation. How many of us, and it doesn't even have to be a um, intimate relationship, toxic workplaces, corporate America, Hollywood, you are now seeing so many people saying, you know what? I really don't have to be in this situation. I just have to make that choice, that life-changing, life-changing choice that will propel me into the next stage of my life. Absolutely. It's not when you're in it. I know from from being in a abusive relationship in in the terms of the community and work that I had, your identity can sometimes be wrapped up in what you're doing, just like it is in a relationship. And it's I, I can't leave. This is everything. But no, you have you have autonomy. You have the only person that you are beholden to is you, or if you have little ones as well. Right. And if you're not safe and you're not thriving in a, in a situation, you owe it to yourself to start doing the deep work of realizing, Hey, whether it's an exit strategy, whether it's getting help so you can get that strength to finally break away. And now more than ever, we're seeing that we're seeing people advocate and talk about it. But there's still the biggest challenge is the recognition within that Mm -hmm. I need to leave. I need to make this move. And that's something that's hard because when we're in ambiguity, we're just sitting there flip-flopping from one idea to the other. And honestly, I know for a lot of people that I talk to, it's, it's never the friends that are telling you to leave, leave, leave. It's, it's gotta be of your own volition, your own choice, your own decision to actually get there. And it's sometimes so damn hard. So it damn is. hard. Of course. It's it's the same is as equivalent to an addict admitting that they have a problem. Because you can look at someone and you're like, dude, you have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> you are stealing from everyone. You are living on the street. You are selling your body for this drug that is absolutely not doing anything to improve your lifestyle. But, you know, my my father, both of my parents came from addictive um, addiction. Um, and my father was a heroin addict for over six years. And I said, how were you able to do it? And then he was addicted to heroin. And if you know anything about heroin, it's one of the hardest drugs to kick. And he said, I got to a place where I just, I couldn't stand myself anymore. And also he was about to rob his sister. 
And her husband intervened and put a gun to my dad's head and gave him two choices. You either get clean or I kill you. <laughs> and he was like, and that kind of propelled me to really also <laughs> do the work. But, but I got to fix it because, you know, I mean, a gun to the head. You're like, let's think about this. Let's think about this. Don't pull the trigger. But when he tells me this story night and I think about my dad now, I go, I can't even put that together. But he was so deep in his addiction um, and he made the choice. And he said, yeah. I knew when I got clean, I had to do it cold turkey. I didn't want the assistance of methadone. I didn't want to use that because I knew that I would become addicted to that. Yeah. And I thought, wow, how profound, how, how intense of a choice to make. Um, and he said, you know, that first, those first few weeks, you feel like you're going to die um, because of what your body is going through. So, so choice is, I don't think we give choice and the power that it has its place. Like we really don't understand that you can come from, from absolutely nothing and yeah. make yourself into something. You know, my father was abandoned by his mother at the age of 13. Uh, then a year later, his father left and he grew up basically in the streets. And yet my father made a choice to continue to break that cycle and be the best father I could ever have. So when I hear people say, well, I didn't have a father, I didn't have it being modeled. Just because it's not being modeled doesn't mean that you can't become that model. Absolutely. Just because it's not being modeled and my father proved it. So it's kind of hard for me when I'm like, listen, I come from a line where my, you know, my dad could have repeated so many cycles of abuse because his father was abusive. Number one, uh, abandonment. He could have abandoned my mother and, and all of us and just left us. Um, he could have continued choosing drugs over his family, and yet he didn't. So for me, choice really is is the foundation to anything, to anything when you want to get better. Absolutely. I, I, I've been able to sit down with a lot of people that have overcome, whether it was an abusive relationship or a toxic environment, or being brought up in even uh, a home where it was just violence. And when I look at our, our model of resiliency, if you will, like I had, I come from really bad uh, childhood, lots of trauma, but when it came to surviving and breaking free from that abuse, that was the easiest thing to do. Being able to start off with nothing and, not having that sense of security. And when I look at the comparisons to leaving my situation as an adult, leaving the soft community, that was even harder for me as an adult because the identity piece, the family piece, not having a real family, that was nothing. But then having been given a family through the military, that was the hardest thing to do. I mean, you would just, you would continue suffering, continue going through any abuse because you don't want to leave family. You don't want to, you don't want to be without that identity. 
Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, what I see is happening so often in marriages in the military, whether it's the wife that's being abused or the husband, you have a core family, have a community that rallies around you. Now you want to leave it. And it's not even, it's not even enough to say that you want to leave it for self-preservation because even that doesn't come in as a factor because you're looking at the community and what you have and you're just focused on what you're going to lose. That's the thing that I've, I've been seeing lately is coming back to that. Well, if I leave him, I leave my, my, the love of my life, I leave the community and I leave my family. Like, but the reality is, is you're not losing that. Right. You, you can gain friends. You can make friends. You can get into community. You have to be able to put safety first. And that's something that's still so hard to get through to people. It's yeah. Being able to get through that layer of, Hey, you're romanticizing something and you're not even looking at the future. It's the f- sense um, of false hope. Yeah. Constant false hope. Um, you know, I can't even imagine when I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you speak about why some of them stay. Uh, pension, right? You're, you're thinking of, well, we won't have the pension. I won't have retirement because if I nope. divorce him, you know, that whole, it's cheaper to keep her. Like it's, it's one of those, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> like that's just the reality. Um, and I think just women carry this guilt constantly of, I don't want to be the one to break up the family. Because that's to us, if we've never had a family, we, we definitely don't want that family to be broken or we do understand the, the, how hard it is to raise children yeah. today in, in the society that we're living in without a foundation, without stability, being a single parent, it doesn't matter how you identify or how you see yourself raising children in the 21st century. It feels like. The movie Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, That's not the movie that. I thought you were going to say. <laughs> it literally feels like that. If you've never watched this movie, now you have to go watch it. And then you will understand. Um, It's just so insane. It is absolutely insane. It is a... You constantly just wonder, like, what? How? What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just like what I should be on drugs as a parent. I don't know because it's so wild. <laughs> but it's it's just so. Why am I saying all this? Because abuse is a web. There is no. It is a vortex that just continues and continues, and until that person, whether it's man, woman, however they identify, has that aha moment. They will, they, they just can't get it. They just yeah. can't leave. It's that, that moment that, that pressure point that, you know, where you're tapping out, right? In MMA, you fight till the, like your face is coming off and you're like, I'm not going to tap out. But then you get to that point where you go, I have to tap out. And I think on, uh, until a person who is in that kind of situation, a toxic, that they get to like, I have to tap out. 
I'm done. I'm so done that I don't care if I end up in the street. I don't care. I just can't be it. That's when now you can come in and you can help someone and you can talk to them and you can guide them until they have that moment. It's not going to happen. Absolutely. And there are situations where it is that first violent encounter that's immediately crosses the boundaries. But in a lot of times in relationships, abuse is sort of kind of introduced in small steps and little incremental. And it's almost like you're conditioned. I know as a child, we were just conditioned to believe that abuse was just normal. Like, and that's how I've seen it play out in this community where it's just that one, maybe it's just, verbal abuse maybe then then that escalates a little more and then you're gaslighting and then that sort of slow burn and build up you can definitely get somebody to be completely acclimated to abuse in the home and make it so it's like oh well i mean he only hits me or yells at me when he drinks or you know maybe maybe he's right i should have been better about laundry and keeping the house together And it's that weird normalization of abuse that gets people in that web that slowly just sucks you in into thinking that, oh, this is normal. It's just the way he is. It's just the way we live. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, it's Mm -hmm. not. None of it's normal. No, it isn't. Uh, Especially when you don't come from that. So you have that other side of the coin. Where I think most kids in the 80s, we all were abused at some point. (laughs) Like, like I just feel like 80s kids, we were just like, abuse? That was normal. Literally, like, what are we talking about? Um, But we survived, I think, and we're okay, hopefully. But it's just, it feels so different now. It feels so, um, I don't know. I don't know why it feels different for me. I guess because when you you are in it for so long as a child, it's so normal. But as you become aware and conscious of like, oh, that isn't normal. So for me, not only did I I experience abuse from my partner who I was with intimately, but my mother was also very passive aggressive abusive behavior um and in her last years of her life she was extremely emotionally and verbally abusive i mean my mom can shoot me down in a second with words that were not were not words that a mother should express to a daughter yeah and i am 43 years old and i still have to work through those doubts I still have to work through her voice that I can hear so loud, especially when I'm not where I want to be. That's when they are the loudest. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, you're right. I'm not where I want to be because I'm not working hard because, yeah, I didn't, you know, I didn't make it because I could never please you. Those are still very real for me, but it's a constant battle. And I think and I think that that we assume um that abuse is only physical. Yeah. So if I can't, so if I see it, then it's real. But if I don't see it, how real is it? 
you know, but it's very real for the person who's experiencing it. And like you said, you hit it on the head that it creeps in. There's that grooming stage. There's that stage of security. They, they set the foundation. The abusers set the foundation for like, you know, this is going to be the best time of your life. And then you get married and you're literally getting punched in the face on your honeymoon. And I've heard that story countless times from many women. The day that we went on our honeymoon, that was the day that I received one of the worst beatings of my life. What do you do with that? Yeah. It, you know, you, you, you just spent all this money on your wedding. You just invited the entire family and everyone thinks that you're happy. And now you're literally covering up your face with makeup while you're vacationing in Miami. And everyone thinks that everything's okay. And now you have to begin lying. Now you have to begin putting up this front. You have this filter that you have to create. So that way people, you know, your disappointment the disappointment and shame is really what 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 holds a person in that kind of relationship because yeah. it's, it's so embarrassing it really is no one wants to say I'm like yes girl i got punched in the faces today you should have seen my shiner like nobody <laughs> wants to have that conversation i know and it's okay like people whoever's listening i'm it's not that i'm making fun of the situation number 1 i i've spoken about this for over a decade i i am an expert when it comes to this because i've been in it and i can laugh now but yep. it really those are the things that go through people's minds you absolutely know, that whole question of why does a person stay I, and i get i really understand why people ask that because you and I are having this conversation and you're like, I still don't understand. How can you try to understand something that is not black or white? It's gray, purple, green, yellow, all these different colors that make no sense, um, especially in the military. I cannot even imagine what that must be like, where you are both serving your country you are you will never let one of your brother or sisters leave them behind and yet you are getting your butt whipped every night and everyone looks at your spouse and if they are in a higher rank forget about it there's no way that you will defame this person he is the leader of our troop yeah and we can't go against him and yet He's almost killing you every night. That's think, insanity. That that is a that is a sense of insanity that you feel. That is, you 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 feel so trapped because once again, it's the the the, oh my gosh, living up to those expectations. Yeah, you're a soldier, really. You fight, and you face war. And you can't leave. Yeah, there's there's so many, and, and you said it right there. It, it's we are fighting a war at home, and then you can't even rely on your teammates to pull you out of it. There's no, there's no one coming in to rescue you 
because you feel trapped. You're just absolutely trapped in this idea that this, this is the way it has to be. And it, and it's such a multi-layered problem. And it's so complex, just like you just said, because when you met that person, maybe they weren't that way. And there's so many different variables, uh, TBI, PTSD, trauma, all those, all those things change us physically, uh, psychologically. And you're just holding on to that hope that he or she are going to snap out of it. They're going to come back to the person that they once were. And you're just holding on to that hope. But at the same time, Every time you bring up therapy, every time you bring up counseling, every time you bring up all these different interventions to try to get them to go back and get help and, and return to who they were, they battered away. They battered away. They battered away. So you're just sitting there holding on the hope, but nothing's materializing. And we see it. Your friends, your family can see it. But love is a powerful addiction. It is a powerful thing that locks us in and we're willing to fucking love people through the worst. And I'm not saying and advocating for not valuing your relationship, but I am saying, and I am advocating to put your life and safety first. There's always room for reconciliation and, and for getting the marriage back on track when you are safe, when you and, and children are in in a better place, their safety is hundred percent guaranteed. And then the other partner is willing to get help. Right. That's a real thing. And and we can't dictate where your love and where your boundaries are at. I'm not going to tell you how to um, go about fixing the marriage. I'm not going to tell you how to go about mending fences, but I can tell you this safety has to come first. You right. have to be able to put your safety your chi- your kid's safety first and then think about all right how do how do we come back either save the marriage or go about being better healthier people on our own but it's so damn hard to get that message across because people hear the idea that you're advocating for the dissolution of the marriage for the separation and it's like no dude we'll talk about that on the back end right put your safety first yeah think about what you need yeah. I, once again, it's getting to that place, that pit in your stomach, the way that my father explained it to me, where you are just sick and tired of being sick and tired, where you are just, I'm done being um, threatened. I'm done with, I don't care if you threaten me anymore. You haven't killed me yet. So what's going to, what's the worst? Obviously, the worst can happen though, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, the majority um, of murders that happen is when a woman decides to finally leave, which is terrifying because once again, then why, why, why would I even risk that? Um, but who wants to live in that kind of hell? It's, it's, yeah. it, I think, like I said, the beatings and the abuse, verbal, mental, whatever it is, but it's the, that secret, um, the silence, the trauma, the trauma of silence, because that's what abuse does. It silences you. 
It silences you in ways that you are not even prepared. It silences your voice, your character, your morals, your values, your ability to to make a decision. It silences you. It it braces you um, and it suffocates you to the place that you just go, I don't even know how to communicate. Yeah. I don't even know my own thoughts because all I can think about is to survive the next second. It's not even the day. How can I get through without having a mental breakdown, a panic attack, an anxiety attack, and how do I not um, get him mad? Really, that's what we're always thinking about. How can I diffuse the situation? So even if I do everything perfect, an abuser will still find something imperfect. Absolutely. You know, you they're be, just... You can do exactly what they want. You, you can, can do, do everything. Exactly. I mean, listen, it can be perfect. You can... Everything, everything. You can give them everything they want. And because they are cowards, because that's what they are. They are cowards. Um, let's call it for what it is. Um, anyone who abuses their power is a coward. And especially when it's towards someone who is smaller than you in size. <laughs> you know, I'm a tough girl. Uh, my husband, he is a big, burly man. He has a huge beard, you know, big <laughs> voice. He's like 5'11". And even in my toughness, I know that if my husband wanted to physically do damage to me, he can do it in a second. That's, you know, using that that power. So it's, it's this constant um, questioning that you have. You know, that secret pain, that's the thing that, that hinders so many people from speaking up. And then when you finally do, you just want anyone to listen. Yeah. You want someone to listen. And unfortunately, the person who's listening is not a trained listener. So they re-victimize the victim. Why are you, why, why are you doing that? Or how dare you? tell people about you know x y and z and and then you just go like this is exactly why i didn't want to say anything yeah which or is, they want to solve the problem for you right by like, telling you <laughs> oh you should do this right of course i should <laughs> yeah yeah oh great i'm gonna totally do it right now duh i would have done it a long time ago but my brain right now is you know i might have a concussion so if I have a concussion, is my brain thinking the PTSD has changed the chemistry in my brain? So I really can't. It's not that I don't want to. It's just my brain is telling me something else and my body wants to do something else. Yeah. So I, I, it's 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 once again, how do we support? Really, how do we get to that place of. If you do find out that someone is being abused, how do you support? You you literally just listen. That is it. And if you can help them, find resources online, which that's that's the most amazing thing. I didn't have the internet. It was pure will. Yeah. That was that was for me. It was the the, the will to say I have to leave. But now there are so many resources that you can go online and say, how do I leave an abusive relationship? And you'll have information. Yeah. And, and that's one way. That's really one way of using the internet. Um, because 
if you can't trust anyone, you know, if someone doesn't know, Google does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that, that's the I, one thing. Yeah. I yeah. tell my daughter, I, was, I'm like, I know I'm mommy and I know I'm supposed to know everything, but if I don't, I know Google does. So let's do that. But really, <laughs> like, really, let's use the internet for to help others. Yeah. I know when you're in the middle of a crisis, just using an online search engine seems like the absolute most impossible thing. But that's where you have friends and family that love you, that care about you. Start bringing out the resources. I know as a kid, same thing. We were constantly living in a state of abuse. And I remember listening to the TV shows at night, waiting for the commercials that would talk about uh, women's shelters and like just writing down resources, just afraid like call these fucking people, dog. Like, let's right. And we come from the, I feel like we come from the same era where we had the yellow pages. That was our internet. Yes. Right? That it was this big, <laughs> if you don't know what this is, guys, they know. Don't be afraid. Yeah. It was this big book. It was a yellow <laughs> big book. It was as Dex. It was just so big. Yeah. Uh, and you would look through there and, and and back then, like you said, you were right, there were only shelters. So yeah. there were no resources for teenagers. And even still to this day, the lack of resources that are that there are for young adults who are experiencing intense levels of of abuse. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, teenagers turn to their friends and they turn to social media. Yep. Social media in a way that is not healthy, that will not help you. Um no. You know, they you might get exposed. So it's it's just it's it's so interesting now the the resources that we have, but we also have to be careful which resources that we're looking at. Um, yeah. yeah, when when you want to finally make that decision to leave. So, going back to your experience, when you were going through that, what was your journey like? What was when were you finally able to to embark on that first taking that first step to leave? What was that like? It was the first time I've ever thought about suicide. When suicide wasn't mm-hmm, as popular as it is now. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's just too popular. It's too fast. It, it's too accessible. But it was just the thought that I didn't want to be here. And I woke up and I contemplated how I would do it. And I was like, I don't like blood. Don't really think I'm going to try to cut myself. That's going to freak me out. I probably would faint at my own. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> no. I don't want to do that. And I thought, well, if I suffocate myself, that's an option. If I drink pills, that's an option. But you know, when you just drink pills with you go end up in the hospital and they pump your stomach. But I was so desperate because the pain that I was feeling, it was just too much for my body and for my soul. And for me, that was the mo- that was the defining moment of okay, either I'm going to take my own life. And if I don't, then I, that means I have to live and I have to leave. I cannot continue because it's, it's not going to be good. 
And, and that was a defining moment. That was the thing that said, okay, I'm done. And I called my boyfriend and I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm over. I, I can't do this anymore. And he came over and we argued, argued in my room and for a couple of hours. And of course he tried to, you know, sexually assault me in my own room while my parents were in the other room. And I'm thinking, wow, you really have no, you don't care. You are an animal. <laughs> you are a beast. And he finally left. Now, there was a point after he left and we broke up where, because I didn't have any self-esteem, I didn't have anything. And he was the only thing I knew. So I was still very addicted to him. Um, and I went back to him several times and I became pregnant. And that's when I was like, oh, it's real. And I had to have an abortion. I chose to have an abortion. Um, but when I called him about my pregnancy, he said that I was a liar. And he was like, you can do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. Jesus. And, and that really was a, the cutoff, like, okay, I'm forever done with you. So there were two moments, right? It was that initial, like, I have to leave because my life mm -hmm. is at, in danger. And then when, when I had the abortion, which to me, the abortion was worse than the abuse. And I know how people feel about abortion and, but it took me 20 years to feel safe to freely even say that I had an abortion. Yeah. Because the, the trauma I experienced from that, <laughs> I mean, when I had the abortion, I condemned myself. I said, I will never become a mother. I will never. This uterus right here, she is cursed. And um, no children. I don't deserve children. And I was willing to carry that cross because I just felt like, you know what? This was my fault. Um, and for years. And so when I got with when I got with my husband, who we've been together for 22 years, not the abuser, just want to clarify. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, in our 11th year of being married, he was like, I think I'm going to have babies. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even have a biological clock. Like I threw it away. <laughs> it's in the ocean. It's in the Titanic right there. That's where, yeah, we're not. And I was suffering immensely with, panic attacks and anxiety and i was like how why would you want to have a children like you know what i've been through you know like my mom i'm not going to be a good mom because look at my relationship with my mother then I, I had an abortion like who the hell am i to even attempt to have a child but god yeah you know, we have, infinite <laughs> wisdom. And then God laughs at us. I think God just thinks I'm hilarious. I really do. Um, and I have two beautiful little girls. Oh, that's amazing. Who are healthy. And I have a healthy relationship with them. 
but it took so much work and surrendering um, and resilience to get to that place where, you know, that, um, that I believed that I was worthy. And I think so many, especially veterans who come home and they're struggling, they just want to feel worthy again. You know, because yeah. when you were on the battlefield, you were someone and you had this identity and you lost it because of X, Y, and Z, because of PTSD, because, you know, coming into this world and not feeling like I'm just, I don't understand my place. That really is the core, right? I've never been Absolutely. to a war the way that you have or served. But I've had my own war. Oh, yeah. And it's ugly and it's lonely. And you just want to feel worthy. That is so true. That, that, and then, man, a lot of, a lot of connections um, growing up due to my abuse, I never wanted to be a parent either. I never wanted to. And I said, I don't want to do this because all the abuse I suffered is going to manifest back in me. And then I'm going to be this monster because that's what I endured. I'm 38 and I'm just now starting to build a family with my wife. We're, we're just now actively, uh, because I've just recently been able to to understand that we are not the product of our abusers. We're not, they don't control us. They, they don't dictate how we live our life. Mm -hmm. Like we get to develop our, our life story on our own. We get to do, this is our life. This is our choice. Everything we do from here on out after we're fully understanding that, we're not just their victim. Mm -hmm. We're our own person. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's, that's the beauty of finally getting help and understanding. And everybody deserves that. And you only get that through being able to advocate, being able to stand up and getting help, being able to walk away. And it is hard because just like you had that, that pull back to your, abuser that's a normal response when all you've known is that that love that type of love mm -hmm. like that is people don't understand it if they've never been in it but that's a normal reaction to being held hostage <laughs> being held hostage and being told this is love i beat you because i love you right i beat you and i put you down and i destroy you because i love you this is my love. And if that's all you've known, that's all you've known. Right. And you, and you, now you all of a sudden are alone. Now you're, don't run back. And even if you do understand that it's not your fault, you need help. You right. need help from a therapist, from a treatment team. It's hard. It's mm -hmm. not an easy thing. And abuse that's wrapped around the same concept of, 
when you twist love and abuse together and that's all you know, that's a that's a powerful thing to break free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, and that's especially when that is, right, if you're dealing with someone who's never come from a stable home. Yeah. So I I'd rather have this than be lonely because being lonely feels like death. There's some people who just loneliness is. I can. There are people like. There's a difference between. I can. I love to be alone, but loneliness of, you know, no one has ever loved me, and no one. I don't know what that is like, and um, it's once again that false hope. It is. It is cloaked and dressed in this false sense of security when it's really it's not. It's slowly killing you day by day. Um, and, and then once children come into this world, which is why when I made that decision, I just knew I cannot bring a child into this world knowing that he will be a part of our lives for the rest yeah. of our lives. Um, number two, I was a teenager. I was nowhere equipped to bring in a child into this world. Um, And I didn't, I just, you know, it was the hardest decision I ever had to make. And and I think when it comes to abortion, like everybody, it's like an asshole. Everybody has an opinion. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) has an opinion. And, Everyone it, and that's to, their problem. They have to right, deal with it, you know, not and you. It, and, and I just go like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, I get the whole power and women's empowerment and women's choice and women's bodies. But no one talks about the mental and emotional and spiritual torture. Yeah. No one wants to talk about that because how, you know, that's not the case for everyone. I get it. But most for most women, it is. So on top of being abused, right, you're ashamed and you hate yourself for that. Then you have to make this decision, um, which is even worse, especially if the abuser is forcing you to have an abortion. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I've, I've heard some stories and every time I think I've I've heard like, oh, this is bad. It goes a little yeah. deeper and I go. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So it's having these conversations and, and I'm always excited when I can have a conversation with a man about this topic, because yeah. most people associate violence as only a woman's issue. Well, no, no abuse, it's, it's, it's not. It's a it's a human issue. So it is. Yeah, it's it's absolutely and and here's the thing you you don't have to live in the world where you tell yourself well that this is it's just my lot in life you always have a choice for the abuser and the person's being abused mm-hmm. like the reality is you need to be able to find Forgiveness, recovery on both sides. 
Mm-hmm. And you're not going to do that when you're still an active abuser or when you're actively living in abuse. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a shot at being the best actual version of yourself, like take a step back, look at what you're doing mm-hmm. as, as a person that's actively being an abuser, you know, when you come home and you see your wife and your kids and everybody's tiptoeing around you, everybody is trying to avoid making you angry, trying to avoid making too much noise. You know that there's something wrong. Inherently, there's something wrong right. in your household. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Do the honest assessment. Do the do the audit. Like, what are you doing? It's not worth living like that for the rest of your life. At some at some point, it's all going to come crashing down. Yeah, life life has point. a life has a way of making deposits and yeah, taking out. Like the greatest, the greatest thing you can do is it's never too late to stop. It's never too late to realize that what you're doing is killing your marriage. It's destroying your family. The older your kids get, the more it's going to be ingrained in them. The more it's going to, you know, what's a more powerful story than being able to say, I'm fucked up. I need help. And my family is paying for it right now. And you do the right thing. You get the help. You recover. Maybe the marriage is broken, but it's not too late to save your own soul and her soul and your kids' lives from the ramifications of a life of nothing but abuse and violence. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you can continue. If if it doesn't end in catastrophic loss of life, maybe she does get strong enough and she does leave and your kids leave. Right. Now you're alone. And maybe you'll con somebody else into loving you and being with you, but what's going to happen with them? Same thing. It's mm-hmm. a cycle. You're going to continue to abuse. You're going to continue to treat people like they're objects. And then when you're 60, 70 and you're miserable, old and broken and you're walking around by yourself and nobody wants to have contact with you, maybe then you'll realize, maybe then you'll realize, holy shit, I was a miserable fuck. (laughs) I have no family. I have nobody that fucking loves me. And that's a reality of hundreds of men right now. That's a reality for hundreds of people, women too. Right. That's a reality for a lot of people because they never stopped. Do you want that to be your story? Do you want that to be your life? Do you want that to be your reality? You you don't have a lot of time in this life. You don't. Mm-hmm. And if you're blessed with children, if you're blessed with people that love you, there is a victory. There is some vindication in being able to say, fuck, man. Through no no fault of my own, I grew up this way. And then I went and I did this job that put so much stress and trauma on my soul and my mind. And I was a horrible piece of shit. And I can't re I can't go back and change what I did, but I can start living every day being a better person and I can make amends and I can be a better father. I can be a better husband and be a better part of my community by being able to actually get help and do better. That's like, that's the reality of it. You're not going to be able to look back in time favorably at all the things you did to everybody else when mm-hmm. you're old. Yeah. Like, and and that's a, that's a reality that I look at and I see even for 
the person that was my primary abuser growing up nowadays, you know, that was 17 years, 18 years, 20 years ago. Now, like you look back at everything you endured and the entire time you're growing up in this abuse, you're just like, man, I just someday, please God do something. Mm-hmm. And then time, time does its thing and you grow up and then you move on through life and then you'll see them. And then I've seen what's ultimately become of this person. And he's that twisted, old, broken man with nobody, mm-hmm. nobody around. And you don't want that life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And and it's, um, you know, especially when it comes to children, they're so resilient. It's It's amazing how resilient children are. But it still doesn't take away that no child should be exposed to any of that. No child should have to live um, on eggshells, walking on eggshells or wondering um, this this fear that comes in. Like it it is a fear. You can't even describe it. It's always here. It's it's your body knows that feeling. Your body knows that smell. Um, It permeates everything. It it permeates everything. It you know a sound or anything can can just let you know like oh oh it's here. Yep. Right. And as children, we don't have the ability to process. We don't have the ability to to really like unless you're doing active therapy as a child. But how often does that happen? Rarely ever. Yeah. And then you grow into this adult. Now you're trying to find and work through life. Now understanding, oh, who was that? Wow. Who am I? Why am I making these decisions? What forces me to feel this way? So, yeah, unless someone is willing, like you said, to to do the work. And that's what I tell people. You want to get better, man. You just got to do the fucking work. Yep. What And what does that mean? That means sitting down with yourself. That means journaling. That means when you feel like, oh, I'm acting out of character. Where is that coming from? I need to understand why is it that, you know, when I'm at work and someone tells me what to do, I want to punch them in the face. <laughs> <laughs> or if I'm taking commands and I and I know that I'm supposed to be taking these commands, but I'm having these thoughts of wanting to hurt my commander. Where does that come from? Why can't I, you know, operate like anyone else? Um, those are the signs. It's it's saying like, man, I, I need to talk to someone. I need to go to church. I need to find faith, whatever faith that is for you. Um, not numbing your pain, right? Not going and turning to drugs. And, but sometimes for some people, the pain is, it is too much. So I'd rather not feel and I'd rather not face. Because... I feel like I won't be able to make it through. I get that point as well. I really understand that side. Um, you know, my mom was also addicted, but she didn't make the choices my dad made. She couldn't really kick it. She couldn't really get clean. She couldn't really be there for for us as a family the way that we expect mothers to be. She, she just couldn't make those choices. And I've, you know, lived my life trying to understand why, why, what was the difference between my mother and my father? Why did, 
you know, why it's um, it's that whole story of what what wolves are you feeding, right? Which ones are yeah. you feeding? And so for her, she didn't make those choices. She didn't really put her family first the way that my dad did. I think I think my mom just got through life. She didn't live. My mom, my mom didn't live a life. I think she just got through it. And once I was 18, she was like, man, you better figure your shit out. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, I got you through. You didn't yep. die <laughs> in the streets of where I grew up. You didn't, you know, no one shot at you. No one murdered you. I did what I was supposed to do as a parent. So figure your life out now. And I had yeah. to do that. And that's a reality for so many but, of us where it's sometimes that sucks. And then sometimes right. that really develops us into like, oh, wow, if I didn't have that kind of mom, would I be able to handle the world that we live in today? Yeah. So you never know. But I, I do know that there are some traumas that some people just can't heal from. And I am and I'm very aware of that. And I don't yeah. ever judge anyone if they do turn to drugs. I grew up in that home. I know what that's like. And I and I and I can understand if someone is depressed and they just cannot get out of it. It's not about thinking positive. It's not about saying affirmations <laughs> and saying you're amazing and you're beautiful. No. Yeah. Your brain is chemically there's something going on with your brain yeah. that that just can't get it. So how do we work through that and get you the help so that way you can sort of live an okay life? That's yeah. it too. You know, it's, it's, it definitely is a process of continuously wanting to grow. Absolutely. And that's, that's our, the reality about life. It's never a process where like you get to a point where you're like, Oh, I'm done learning. No, it's continued growth, right. continued development. Right. You're never, you're never too high and mighty to not pick up a book or take a lesson, something new. Life is about learning and continued learning. Right. And, so many of us are like, man, I'm done with school. I don't need to worry about anything else. It's like, no, man. <laughs> You're just <laughs> welcome the, to the beginning. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it, you just, especially with um, abuse and how it's so prevalent now more than ever, especially amongst young adults. And I tell parents all the time I go, if you think that your child has not been exposed or is not being exposed, to violence, you are in for a nightmare. Yeah. 82%, 82% of parents said that they could not tell if their child was being uh, abused or in a toxic situation. Wow. That's a problem. And it is now a crisis amongst yeah young adults and even younger teenagers. I mean, our children, right? Our kids are killing themselves at the age of 10 because they're getting bullied. That is a form of violence. Yeah. So I tell parents all the time when I'm working with them, you better get into your child's life. You bet you better show up and be present. And I know it's so tiring and I know it's easy to give them an iPad. I've done it too. During the pandemic, you're like, man, <laughs> If you come to me one more time for a snack, just go watch that. I get that. It's so easy to check out. But yep. when you check out, the world checks in with your child. Yep. 
and you're handing them the device. You're, you're handing them the tools to just to be the Here. surrogate parent. Here's your death wish <laughs> at 10 years old. The thing that we use every day, the thing that we are addicted to every day is yeah. information from a phone. Is it's whether it's an iPad, how aware. Um, and, and I think parents are afraid of being parents today. You know, like when do we stop parenting? And and like I tell my daughters, I'm like, I am not your best friend. I am your mother. So the moment that you can't stand me, that's the moment I know I'm doing my damn job. <laughs> and the mother I had, I'm probably winning right now. So yeah. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to hurt my kids' feelings. I'm not. Yeah, there's there's a big myth. There's a big um, yeah, this push. whole gentle parenting. I, I be just, their best friend. You're supposed to be your best friends with your with yeah. your child. Yeah, yeah, I just go keep doing that and letting your <laughs> child run wild and see what's going to happen. I don't have time for gentle parenting. You know why? The world is not gentle. Yep. It's a harsh place. I'm not saying to be harsh with your children, but I'm saying that checking out and just letting them, you know, do whatever the hell that they want to do. It's not, it's not, um, it's not safe and it's not good for them. It's not good for the child. So I'm not, you know, for your listeners, if they're into that whole gentle parenting, amen. God bless you. Not this. I don't think they are. Not, not this. Okay, good. Not this Puerto Rican woman. I come from the old school, like, you know, I'm just saying I was in the building and what you're not going to do is disrespect me because you feel like your voice, you know, no, we're not doing that. Not, and, and once again, I, I am a such better version of who my mom was to me. Um, but I also, you know, if I need to bring down the hammer, I bring down the hammer. And if they oh, come, yeah. I'm like, welcome, welcome, welcome <laughs> to mommy's world. I cry every day. <laughs> and on that note, we could drop it. <laughs> oh my God. Thank you so much for being here today. That was amazing. Um, I, I want to thank you for sharing your story, uh, being authentic and being a powerful voice, not just for uh, women, but for men too, because your story empowers and helps us better understand that we have the capacity to recover and heal and thrive once we leave that environment. Um, I really recommend that anybody out there goes and picks up your book. um, Embracing me. Yes. Yeah. And um, your other one, a story of resilience and redemption. uh, Your voice, your choice. With embracing me, I really go into depth. So many, you know, I share my abortion story. I really go, um, and so that's always like the book that I push. Um, and that many, Absolutely. can I read it? Yes, you can. I know it's fe- <laughs> very feminine, but I'm sure you'll find something in there. <laughs> and also, uh, you know, I, it's interesting when you reached out to me, the military and that whole world, um, it's been something that I'm like, man, I would, I would love to speak. Um, so if there's anyone you know who has, the doors to open in that world. I would love to come and share my story. Absolutely. Again, thank you so much for being here with us today. And uh, it's the perfect episode for March 1st. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) We'll see you next time. 
Well, well, we're not done yet, guys. We need your help to raise $10,000 in order to help our great friend Tim Molesky save his forge. That's right. Go to the episode right now and click the link to GoFundMe and go donate some money. I love you. 